<laughs> if you're visiting Gospel Church and you're like, wow, these guys seem a little bit disorganized. We're doing so well today. You have no idea. Um, look, why don't I pray for us and then we've got to get, get into God's word together. Uh, Jesus, show us you. Lord, we pray that today, by the Spirit's power and through your mighty gospel, we would come to know you and know you more. We would see the mighty joy and wonder and peace and hope of the resurrection today. The restoration that was achieved against all odds, against anything that we could do and everything that we had done, the restoration that we see at the, uh, at the resurrection, the reconciliation of God and man and the restoration of all things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. There are loads of things that you celebrate in this life, right? Um, you know, even if I say that, you've probably got a few popping to mind as it is, uh, if, if you're paying attention. You know, we celebrate birthdays, we celebrate anniversaries, we celebrate the going out of old years and the coming in of new years, sometimes separately, a little bit odd, just saying. Usually... When we celebrate, we're remembering a big moment of change. Usually, usually when something old ended and something new began. On a, on a birthday, you celebrate that a new life was born. And it has continued for another year by God's sustaining grace. On a wedding anniversary, we celebrate that a life, uh, two lives apart, ended and one life together began. For instance, uh, JC and Matt over here are celebrating their first wedding anniversary today. Just putting it out there. You. Didn't plan to say that, but then just had the, the connection. Anyway, on a new year, we celebrate that an old year is gone. Sometimes we've done that really fervently recently, haven't we? Uh, but, but that a new one is beginning. But the greatest moment of change, the greatest moment of the old ending and the new beginning is what we rejoice on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, there's one, one old teacher who wrote that uh, our old history ends with the cross. That did not work. I'm going to trust you, Mark. Maybe. Our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. There is no better reason to celebrate than the reason that we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday, he's risen. On, on Friday, on Friday we saw that even with everything against him, uh, Jesus conquered for us. The reason we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the reason it is, as that teacher said, the beginning of a new history is that, is that his resurrection demonstrates definitively the victory of the cross. And so, because his work on the cross is successful, is complete, is finished, we celebrate over the resurrection, the restoration of what was broken. And today, I, I want to just walk us through kind of three levels at which we come at, at, at that result of the resurrection, the restoration that comes as a result of Jesus. Three reasons to celebrate. Uh, first, in the resurrection of Jesus, we see humanity restored. It is working. Lovely. On Friday, we saw that Adam and Eve 
in the Garden of Eden, uh, through them, brokenness entered the world. And since then, all people have been broken, have been in sin. When people choose not to follow God's way, but instead became, become and became separated from him, we, we fell and we continue to be fallen. Uh, and ultimately, the result of that is death. The Bible says that the wages of sin are death. But now the man Jesus, he walks out of the tomb into a new garden. It's interesting, the Bible tells us that Mary Magdalene mistook Jesus for the gardener. Uh, in, in, in John chapter 19, that last verse there, is, uh, second last verse, it says, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a tomb. So they laid him in the tomb. Fun fact, I, that word for garden appears three times in the whole New Testament. Come in! <laughs> Sorry, someone was peeking through the door. Um, probably the most likely way to scare someone away, actually, now I think about it. Anyway, thank you, wife. Uh, no, that word appears three times. Once in Luke, twice in John. In the Garden of Gethsemane and in the Garden of Resurrection. And Mary mistakes him there for the garden. This moment in history is being intentionally painted as a new garden, a new Eden. A new creation is happening here and a new humanity is coming forth from that tomb. No longer under the domination of sin, of brokenness, of Satan, and so no longer subject to death. And what's amazing is that this resurrection life thing isn't just isolated to Jesus. The Bible says that when Jesus died, he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That means that in accordance with the plan that God has always had, Jesus died to deal with humanity's brokenness, our sin, our rebellion. Remember, death is the result of that sin, right? For those who trust in him, Jesus has overcome the power of sin and death. He died for our sins. We can be sure that he has overcome our sin and our death because he walked out of that grave. And what we see happening in the days, the months, the years, and indeed the centuries and millennia after Jesus rose is that that faith in him, that he has overcome sin, that he has overcome death, spreads. You know, first his immediate disciples, they, they spread it to their region and then they spread it to, it gets spread to the surrounding regions and eventually it goes across humanity and it's reaching every tribe and tongue and nation. It goes to the other side of the world and if you want evidence of that, look around you. <laughs> we are the other side of the world. If you ever wondered vaguely, yeah, it's kind of oceanic a bit more, but... But, you know, think about a place further from Israel that's not New Zealand, a place that counts uh, than Australia, right? Any Kiwi Kiwis in the room? Um, Apologise. Some of the best, best friends are Kiwis. <laughs> now, let me, let me take a moment here to speak to the, the sceptic in the room. Um, don't, don't worry, there's a skept there's, there's however many people there are here, there's, there's that many sceptics. We all have a little sceptic inside of us somewhere. 
It's possible though for you right now, you are hearing this uh, and there's an internal skeptic going, come on. Like, this is fairy tale stuff, a guy walking out of the grave. That's absurd, that's wild. That, that's, that's a storybook. You, you really expect me to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Where's the evidence that that ever happened? Um, and let me just speak to that for a minute. And there's a few responses that we could actually give to that, but one that I find personally very compelling is that um, we look at the alternative explanation, the best alternative explanation of what happened here. Because all the other stuff that I just said before is historically verifiable fact, right? The spread of the gospel, the followers of Jesus did spread the news. Uh, whether the news was true or whether the news was false, uh, they spread it. Uh, they spread that he had risen from the dead and that they had seen him. In fact, hundreds said that they had seen him. The best alternative explanation that I can see and that anyone has ever been able to pose that I've been able to find is, is that it was just an elaborate hoax, right? Like they, they stole the body, they, they said he'd risen and Shazam, you got a resurrection. It's, it's wonderful. The disciples thought they were onto something good with this Jesus guy, right? A wonderful, they, you know, they saw a way to gain out of this. Uh, and so, you know, they, they said he was risen. They thought that they could become famous, become rich. I mean, they are famous, right? Who's heard of Peter? You know, it's okay. I know you've heard of Peter. It's okay. Um, and so, you know, they perpetuated the hoax, this myth that it was risen. Sounds pretty plausible, doesn't it? Until, you know, you look at the other historically ver verifiable facts, <laughs> like the result of that claim for those who said it, especially for those closest followers of Jesus, was persecution and death. As far as riches go, not the ones I'm looking for. Of his 11 closest followers, 10 were killed for claiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. And none of them put their hand up and went, it was a hoax, it's okay, you don't have to feed me to it. Like, consider that. That last one, the 11th, he was exiled to a rock in the sea to mine, probably in his 90s, we think. The whole idea that they made it up kind of falls apart in the face of the fact that they were willing to die rather than say it wasn't true. They went to their graves amidst cries to just deny it and live. But instead, they maintained the story and died. Think about that. The only reason that a whole bunch of people would do that is because, I mean, maybe A, mass hysteria, they're all wildly crazy people, right? Seems unlikely. But B, the likely option, they really had met the resurrected Jesus. And they really knew that he had power over the grave. Power such that even though they died, they would live. You know, there's more evidence, but, but that and, and, and the more is what leads people like a guy named A.W. Tozer to say the resurrection of Christ and the fact of the empty tomb are not part of the world's complex and continuing mythologies. This is not a Santa Claus tale. It is history and it is reality. And that really brings us to the central restoration that I want to focus on today. We've got three to cover. We're up to number two, but this is the big one. 
because the restoration that comes about as a result of the resurrection of Jesus isn't just some general kind of power. It's not the force. It is restoration for you. The resurrection of Jesus means life for you. It means salvation for you. Eh. I love the the real life example of this that we see in the Bible here in John's Gospel, in the garden. Uh, Mary comes to the tomb and she discovers that the body of Jesus is gone and the absolute grief of death which is already gripping her, overwhelms her, right? This man who she had cared so deeply for, who she had followed, who she had believed in, had died. And and grieving already, she comes to pay respects to the body, right? And finds even that opportunity has been stolen from her, that it has been taken away. There's this Old church father, Augustine, August, Augustine, take your pick. Uh, he puts it that Mary's eyes, which had, Mary's eyes, which had sought the Lord and had not found him, had now nothing else to do but weep. Deeper in their sorrow that he had been taken away from the grave than that he had been slain on the tree. But in her mourning, And at a loss to know what to do, eyes full of tears, Mary turns and she sees a man. She doesn't recognise him at first, uh, probably just because she is so downcast, but who's to say? It doesn't give us that information. But she pleads with him to take her to the body. She thinks he's the gardener. She says, just take me where you've taken him and I'll take the body. And he calls her name, Mary. And her mourning turns to joy. Her weeping is replaced with the joy of life as she sees that the one who had been dead is alive. She had been sure that he was the Messiah, the saviour of the world. And then she had been equally sure that he was dead. And he was dead. And these two things seemed completely impossible to reconcile, but now he stands before her risen. And in his rising, she experiences the joy of the resurrection. In his rising, we see the conquest of death. And tears are replaced with laughter and joy and celebration. Can you imagine the joy? I mean... On one sen- in one hand, no, but in w- on one hand, yes, in a way. I think we can imagine a limited version of this. I think each of us actually has a part of us, if you've lived long enough, that has wondered about something a little bit similar to this. You live long in- enough in this world and you lose people. People die. And when people you love die, you naturally imagine and long for this kind of a joy. The joy of just seeing them again. You desperately wish for just one more chance to see them, for just one more moment where they'll just walk through the door like they always used to do and and give you a hug, you know? And And then we meet Jesus 
who has overcome the grave. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you trust in Jesus, the life and the joy of the resurrection can be yours. For those who turn away from sin and trust in and follow Jesus, the joy of the resurrection is ours. His death becomes death to your sin. His resurrection life overcomes your death. His death secures and his resurrection guarantees that for you there is life coming without end. Though you die, you shall live. I wonder, have you believed? Have you received the life of Jesus? You don't need to measure up. You don't need to be good enough. There's nothing you need to have achieved, no level of goodness that is required. If you feel like you're that person who is just surprised that the roof didn't collapse when you walked into a church this morning, although you look around and you go, is this actually a church? But if you're that person, then, then good news. You are the person that Jesus saves just by trusting him, just by believing in his work for you, not in anything you've got to bring to the table. If you know you've got nothing to bring, less than nothing to bring, you're in just the right place. The whole point is that it is his work that saves you, not yours. I couldn't save myself, but he saved me. He can save you if he can save me. Why not believe in Jesus and let the celebration of the resurrection today be the celebration of your new life as well? If that's you, why not come talk to me afterwards or to a follower of Jesus? If someone brought you here today and if they didn't, just, just hit me up. I'm, this is a conversation that I'm always happy to have. Call me at 2 a.m. and I'm happy to have this conversation. Not every conversation, this conversation. His resurrection means restoration for you. And that brings us to this, this third level of restoration, which we celebrate as a result of the resurrection of Jesus. You'll notice that at the start today, the, the slide said that I was talking about four gardens. If, if you weren't here on Friday, we covered two of those gardens on Friday. Uh, as, as we looked at the Easter story, we, we kind of... We looked at Eden and we looked at the Garden of Gethsemane uh, we've d and, and, and now we're in the Resurrection Garden and you're like, if you're a really gifted counter, you know we're up to three, right? Uh, this is where the fourth comes in. In the last book of the Bible, we get a picture of a final garden. The author, in that highly symbolic book of Revelation is taken to see a new world and in that new world there is a garden city which represents at the same time the presence and the people of God and in this place he sees the river of the water of life flowing freely through the middle of the streets of the city and on either side is the tree of life and it bears fruit every month all year round and it says there that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And this garden city is so big that it fills the whole world. 
It's a picture of the cosmos restored. Humanity's relationship with God is made right. And so we experience life in all of its fullness. No more hostility. Think about that. No more conflict. I bet that if I did like a show of hands, and I'm not going to do a show of hands, but like, and just said, hey, who's experienced painful conflict in the last week? We would get a stack of people raise their hands right now. Please don't. No more pain, loss, and sorrow. Just joy and peace. The Bible says that Jesus, the same Jesus who died on that cross and who rose from that tomb, is coming back one day physically. And on that day, it will all be made new. We noted on Friday that in the first garden in Eden, when they turned away from God, their relationship with him was broken. And because of that, the world was broken, right? Their relationships with each other were broken. Their lives were broken. The very world was broken. They and everyone after them would die. But in the end, when Jesus returns for all of creation, for for all who have trusted in him, the effects of the fall are reversed. In fact, it's not... It's not even just a new Eden, right? Like it's, not like, it's not like finally we've hit the reset button. It's booting up again. Eden was the garden of God's presence, which Adam and Eve were meant to spread throughout the world, right? That's, that's kind of the that's this summary of Eden. Uh, but in the end, the new garden city fills the world with the presence of God. The whole creation is restored. The task which God laid out at the beginning for Adam and Eve, get your head around this, the task he laid out for them, which they failed in, is nevertheless completed because of Jesus. You can't, you can't stop God. This is the main thing to see here. In the same way that death, sin and separation from God and one another entered the world through the sin of Adam and Eve, and the whole creation was broken by the brokenness of humanity, so the destruction of death, sin, and separation from God and one another comes about through the work of Jesus to deal with sin, to deal with our brokenness. Just like the restoration of humanity that is happening now is a result of the death and resurrection of Jesus, just like your own personal restoration which you can step into right now by faith is only possible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection, the restoration of the cosmos, eternal life, a perfect world where death is dethroned and the God of love reigns is a direct result of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Isn't it good that he's risen? Isn't it joy? Isn't this something we should celebrate every week? And every day? And every minute? And look forward with wonder to the day that he comes back? Would you pray with me?
Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour, our crucified King, our resurrected champion. Thank you that in you we can be restored. Lord, I just want to pray over anyone here who doesn't know you that this would be the day. Blimey, maybe they're just visiting some random town in South Australia and they were like, oh, I'm just going to go to an Easter service. But today, because your spirit's powerful and your news is good, today you're doing something amazing in their life. Lord, I pray that this would be the day that they trust in you and are saved. I pray for anyone in that, in that place of not knowing you, of still being under the, the domination of death and sin. I pray for freedom and restoration, Lord, that they would come to know and to trust in the good news of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, lead us as a people and as peoples from many places. Lead us to forever have our eyes on this good truth. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And he is coming back for us. Lead us to be a people of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.